Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. The stakes in the Middle East couldn't be higher. Suspicions that the United States' intent is to change the regime in Tehran rather than its officially stated goal of forcing Iran to curb its ballistic missile program and support for militias in Lebanon, Gaza, and Yemen, was heightened with this week's decision to designate the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps, IRGC, as a terrorist organization. It was the first time that the United States labeled a branch of a foreign government as a terrorist entity, particularly one that affects the lives of millions of nationals who get conscripted into the Iranian military. Today's unprecedented move to designate the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization demonstrates our commitment to maximize pressure on the Iranian regime until it ceases using terrorism as a tool of statecraft, tweeted John Bolton, Mr. Trump's national security advisor. The designation effectively blocks Mr. Trump's potential successor from returning to the nuclear accord, complicates any diplomatic effort to resolve differences, and changes the rules of engagement in theaters like Syria, where U.S. and Iranian forces operate in close proximity to one another. Through this, some U.S. allies are seeking to ensure a U.S.-Iran war, or to, at a minimum, trap them in a permanent state of enmity, said Theresa Parsi, head of the National Iranian American Council, referring to Saudi Arabia and Israel. The designation was likely to embolden advocates in Washington, Saudi Arabia, and Israel of a more aggressive covert war against Iran that would seek to stoke unrest among the Islamic Republic's ethnic minorities, including Baloch, Kurds, and Iranians of Arab descent. Both Saudi Arabia and Israel were quick to applaud the U.S. move. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, on the eve of a hard-fought election, claimed credit for the suggestion to designate the IRGC. The official Saudi news agency asserted that the decision translates the kingdom's repeated demands to the international community of the necessity of confronting terrorism supported by Iran. The risk of an accident or unplanned incidents spiraling out of control and leading to a military confrontation has also been heightened by Iran's response declaring the U.S. military in the greater Middle East a terrorist entity. The U.S. move and the Iranian response potentially put U.S. military personnel in the Gulf, as well as elsewhere in the region, in harm's way. The designation further ruled out potential tacit U.S.-Iranian cooperation on the ground, as occurred in Iraq in the fight against the Islamic State and in Afghanistan. That cooperation inevitably involved the IRGC. Beyond geopolitical and military risks, the designation increases economic pressure on Iran because the IRGC is not only an army, but also a commercial conglomerate with vast interests in construction, 
engineering, and manufacturing. It remains unclear, however, to what degree the sanctions would affect the IRGC, which already heavily sanctions, does much of its business in cash and through front companies. U.S. policy, even before the IRGC designation, had already raised the specter of a nuclear race in the Middle East. The designation of the IRGC increased the chances that Iran would walk away from the nuclear accord. Under the guise of fears that Iran could abandon the agreement and return to its full-fledged pre-2015 enrichment project, Saudi Arabia has been putting in place the building blocks for its own program. The IRGC goes to the heart of the Iranian regime. It was formed to protect the regime immediately after the 1979 revolution, at a time that Iran's new rulers had reason to distrust the military of the toppled Shah. Some of the Shah's top military and security commanders discussed crushing the revolution at a dinner on New Year's Eve 1978, some six weeks before the Shah's regime fell. It was the Shah's refusal to endorse their plan that foiled it. The Shah feared that large-scale bloodshed would dim the chances of his exiled son ever returning to Iran as Shah. The IRGC has since developed into a key pillar of Iran's defense strategy, which seeks to counter perceived covert operations by the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, in part by supporting proxies across the Middle East. It is a strategy that has proven both effective and costly. Iran's failure to address fears that the strategy is an effort to export its revolution and topple the region's conservative regimes, particularly in the Gulf, has raised the cost. To be sure, the Iranian revolution constituted a serious threat to autocratic rulers. It unleashed a vicious cycle that saw Gulf states fund the eight-year-long Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, in which up to one million people died. Saudi Arabia waged a four-decade-long $100 billion campaign to globally propagate ultra-conservative, anti-Shiite, anti-Iranian strands of Islam. Repeated attempts to stoke ethnic tensions among Iran's disgruntled minorities and Iranian countermeasures, including support for proxies across the Middle East and violent attacks against Americans, Israelis, Jews, and regime opponents in various parts of the world. Given that the IRGC is already sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury, this step is both gratuitous and provocative. It would also put countries such as Iraq and Lebanon in even more difficult situations as they have no alternative but to deal with the IRGC. It will strengthen calls by pro-Iran groups in Iraq to expel U.S. troops, said Barbara Slavin, an Iran expert at Washington's Atlantic Council. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.